Welcome everyone. This is No Need to Argue with Kobe Wittick. Welcome to the show, everyone. This is No Need to Argue. I'm your host, Kobe Wittick. It is a beautiful November 5th, 2018. The clocks have changed. I got my extra hour of sleep this weekend, and I am ready to go on this Monday. So welcome, everyone. Uh, a lot of fun stuff this weekend, a lot of heartache this weekend with some of the games that took place, but we will have plenty of time to get to that and my thoughts on, in particular, the Denver Broncos situation now and moving forward. But, hey, I, I will definitely go into a lot more detail when that time comes later on in the episode. Uh, definitely check me out on Twitter at no need 2 a at no need number 2 a uh, Got a few fun things going up. Had a few tweets this weekend. Uh, with things that took place, and uh, definitely hit me up there. Let me know what you think about the show. I'd greatly appreciate any and all feedback. So let's go ahead and get started with... You gotta be kidding me! There it is, the bell. You gotta be kidding me moments of the weekend. Let's hit it. You gotta be kidding me! To start off, I mean, you know, Thursday we did the show, talked about San Francisco 49ers taking on the Oakland Raiders. It was the battle of the worsts uh, going on over here on the West Coast, Battle of the Bay. And the San Francisco 49ers had their third string quarterback, Nick Mullins, starting the game because of injuries. And what a show out. I mean, what a show he put on. I, I mean, it was... Kind of crazy to sit there and watch, and you're like, you don't know what you're going to get out of this this game. You got the tanking Oakland Raiders, the out and open taking of this Raiders, and the San Francisco 49ers who are just injury-ridden like crazy, fighting for everything they possibly can there. And Nick Mullins comes out and just puts a, a I mean, just a beam of light on this 49ers franchise and what they're building, what they're able to do there with the lack of personnel they have with everything that's taken place this year. I mean, he goes out, he goes 16 for 22, 262 yards with three touchdowns, no interceptions. It really just puts a spotlight on Kyle Shanahan and the offensive mind that he is. He had his third string quarterback go in there. He was confident in him. He put a good game plan together. He put a game plan together that, you know, really put his guys in a position to be successful. He let Nick Mullins go out there. He's not going to throw a bunch. They're going to try and control the game the best they can. Play action. They had good field position all night. And, you know, defense played outstanding. So, you know, you look at this. You know, George Kittle had a, I mean, crazy good game. Only four catches for 108 yards with a touchdown. You know, they ran the ball well, had some big breakout runs. And it just, I mean, what more can you say? You know, you look at the 49ers and everything they're going through. They were 1-7 and seven going into this week. They had their third string quarterback starting. I mean, it was the perfect scenario on a short week to just say, ah, you know, who cares? And they come out and they play hard. They know that it's a good rivalry with the Oakland Raiders, Battle of the Bay. They know they're not going to have that for too many more years with them moving to Las Vegas. And they just show out. And Mullins played hard. He played smart. He made some great throws. He had some good openings. It was good. One, two read max. 
plays for him, you know, make the right read, get it to the open guy, let's get to the next down and play. And it was just, it was really fun to watch him under Kyle Shanahan just, you know, ball out. And it just shows that, you know, the third string quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers and their offensive coordinator is a heck of a lot better than what we got going on here in Denver. And there's no need to argue about that. You gotta be kidding me. Next up, LSU Alabama. I mean, this was the battle of the beasts down in the SEC. This game had a lot riding on it. LSU came in at number three in the college football playoff rankings. Alabama, obviously, number one, eight and zero versus seven and one. You know, LSU had been on a tear, and I mean, they just—I think they forgot to show up. You know, LSU was at home. They, I mean, they had a great home crowd. Everyone was out in force. Just, I mean, what an atmosphere it was in Baton Rouge that night. And, I mean, just to put out the showing that they did, it was it was kind of pathetic to watch. I mean, Alabama, you know, kind of struggled in the first half. They were kind of getting their feet under them. They weren't used to not being up by 30 in the first half. LSU's defense played amazing they played really really well I mean you held the highest scoring team in college football to only 29 points and the way they went about scoring those points I mean that you can't say anything bad about the LSU defense and the way they battled the way they played that game against Tua and lo and behold the LSU defense gets the first interception from the the phenom that is Tua Tungavailoa, the national champion. Tua throws his first interception in LSU. That defense gets the interception, and you think this is where it's going to, I mean, this is where the tide's going to turn. You know, no pun intended, but I mean, this is just, you know, LSU gets the interception, they get some momentum, and that offense did absolutely nothing. Get shut out. I mean, it was just, it was kind of pathetic to watch LSU in that game thinking that, you know, they're going to come out, they're going to be battling, they're going against number one, they know what implication this game can have, you know, they're averaging 26.5 points per game this year, you know, which for college football isn't, you know, too high, they're ranked 73rd in the nation, but it's still 26 points, Alabama is averaging 51.3 and you held them to 29. So even if LSU just scores their average, I mean, you are in that game till the very, very end, and that was not the case. And it is really, really unfortunate to see that Alabama could play that bad on offense compared to how they've played the rest of the year and still shut out LSU and win by 29 points. Better watch out for the tide come college football playoffs. That's all I'm going to say about that. You got to be kidding me. How about the Buccaneers? I mean, Fitz Magic. I take them as my upset pick of the week. And Fitz Magic, I mean, I mean, he balled out. He had two interceptions, but he throws for four TDs. You know, he keeps his team in it. They're battling. You know, the defense played absolutely terrible. Carolina Panthers were doing anything and everything that they wanted to in that first half. They go in at halftime. Buccaneers are down 14 to 35. And, you know, the Magic kind of comes back a little bit in that second half. And, 
you know, they get to within one touchdown, and the next thing you know, you know, Fitzmagic had to throw an interception, and Carolina Panthers score and kind of put the game away. But gosh, I mean, I was I was so excited to see Fitzmagic back in action, and you know, he played well, but you know, it's a team effort, and everyone's got to give their best, and. You know, Carolina is a surging, surging team. They seem to be clicking and figuring out things on offense. I mean, what a day by my man, Christian McCaffrey. 17 rushes for 79 yards and two touchdowns. And he also added five catches for 78 yards. He was the leading rusher. He was the leading receiver, which is pretty typical of this year. Get that man the football. I love you, Christian. Keep doing your thing. But, uh, you know, the Buccaneers just... Gosh, got to bring it in those division games, and they just kind of fell a little short and didn't have enough for the entire stretch. So, you know, maybe better luck next time on my Fitz Magic betting. You got to be kidding me. How about the battle of the NFC supremacy? Rams go into New Orleans, take on the Saints. The Saints come out on fire in this game. I mean, at halftime, they were up 35-17, to 17. I mean, the Rams' defense seemed non-existent in the first half. They were doing anything and everything that they wanted to. You know, that Wade Phillips-led defense, I thought that they would really come in and give Drew Brees some troubles. But when you look at the statistics of the game, they are arguably the best defense in the league. They are arguably the best defensive line in the league. And the Los Angeles Rams put up zero sacks in the entire game and Aaron Donald only had one tackle in the entire game I mean this is a guy that you've just paid your entire bank load to and he has one tackle no sacks against Drew Brees and the Saints they just balled out and I mean it was Crazy to watch at the very end when the Rams really started kind of putting it together in the second half. Defense stepped up. And, I mean, Jared Goff, I mean, 391 passing yards, three TDs. He did have the one interception. I mean, Todd Gurley, you know, they he averaged 5.2 yards per carry, but only 13 carries because they were down and having to battle back the entire time and get some plays. And, you know, they were kind of thrown out of their entire game plan in that first half when they got down by so much and they weren't able to control the ball and they weren't able to control the running game like they like to do. But I mean just you gotta you gotta give it up for Drew Brees and the Saints and what they were able to do. You know, they really are on a mission this year after how last year ended with the Minneapolis miracle. And it looks like this year that the Saints may be on track to correct that Minneapolis miracle and start their own New Orleans miracle of their own. So stay tuned, but it is going to be fun, and I think we will see the Rams and the Saints meet again, potentially in the NFC Championship game, but will it be in Los Angeles, or will it be in New Orleans? We will have to find out and see what comes of this rematch if we are so blessed to see it one more time and there's no need to argue about that you gotta be kidding me how about the battle of the goats that's what everyone was deeming the green bay packers and the new england patriots on sunday night football last night 
You got Aaron Rodgers coming into Foxborough to take on Tom Brady and the Patriots. And it, it really didn't disappoint. You know, I mean, the first half was, you know, a little slow, but there were some plays, there were some drives. Both teams, you could tell, really kind of wanted to control the game with the running game. Uh, you know, a lot of action in the running game to start. Uh, how about Cordell Patterson? With 11 carries and 61 yards with the touchdown. I mean, this is one of your biggest receivers lining up as a running back in this offense. And it just shows, you know, Josh McDaniel's imagination is, I mean, unmatched with what he does with his personnel and the way they move people around. You know, the trick plays with Julian Edelman passing and everything else that they do on this offense. I mean, it just, I mean, it looks like so much fun. And I absolutely hate it because it's the Patriots. But, you know, Cordell Patterson, I mean, what he's done this year for them in the special teams as a receiver. Now, you know, with Sony Michelle out, it looks like he's going to be kind of their primary rushing back. And James White is going to stick to, you know, just kind of being the wide receiver back that he is. You know, another big game for him with 72, 72 yards receiving. I mean, it was just crazy to watch these guys battle back and forth and what they were able to do. And then Aaron Jones fumbles and I mean just leaves Aaron Rodgers stunned and you could just tell when it happened everyone was like again like we just went through this with Ty Montgomery he just got traded away with the fumble that he had late in the game with two minutes left and Aaron Rodgers not getting a chance to you know bring them back and win that game and then Aaron Jones fumbles at a very critical time in this game when they were moving the ball. The Packers were looking to score. They were looking to take the lead. They were really, I mean, just moving and grooving on offense. And Aaron Jones is pretty lucky that the trade deadline was last week because he might have gotten shipped out right away, just like Ty Montgomery. When you uh, ruin Aaron Rodgers' chance to make an impact on the game, that is not a recipe for success in Green Bay. And there's no need to argue about that. Wow. Well, uh, I mean, I gotta, I gotta just get right into it here, and I'm gonna tell everyone now that I'm going to say my piece with the Denver Broncos, Vance Joseph, and everything else that's going on here with the Denver Broncos, and it is going to be probably one of the last times I will talk about the Denver Broncos this season, barring anything crazy. But I am tired of talking and saying the same thing over and over about these Denver Broncos and about head coach Vance Joseph. So let me say my piece. Let me get it out of my system and we will move on and we will continue to talk about all the great things that happen in the NFL every week and college football every week. And I'm really excited to get deep into the NBA and NHL season because our abs and nuggets are looking great. The nuggets in the last power rankings that I saw, I'm trying to remember who it was with, but they were number three behind the Raptors and the Warriors. And they're just, I mean, they're looking really good. So, you know, I'm excited to kind of get on to the success stories that we have going on here in Denver and move away from our Broncos situation that everyone is just suffering through this season. So, uh, you know, I want to apologize for the suffrage that we are enduring during this Broncos season, but, you know, it's it's not really my fault, so I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm waiting for 
you know, John Elway and others to apologize for what the fans are having to go through this year with the Denver Broncos. But this is where I'm going to get started with this situation, okay? Vance Joseph was not fired today, and I was furious. I was hoping that it would come out last night that Vance Joseph was fired, and here are all my reasons for why I feel this way. Now, everyone knows, if you've listened to my podcast before, how I feel about the Denver Broncos this year, Vance Joseph, Case Keenum, etc., 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 but this is kind of the big reason why I'm so fed up with Vance Joseph over the last two years as I've said before, is lack of preparation, game management, time management, and the way things take place every single week that we watch this team play. Yesterday, prime examples, right? So, you know, I'm watching the game, and, you know, it's it's Houston 13, Denver 10, at the end of the first half. Now, the Broncos get the ball with a minute 42 on our five-yard line. With a minute 42 left in the second quarter. On our five-yard line. So, I mean, we, we got to do some moving with two timeouts to get into field goal range, to get into scoring potential here. Okay? Now, they make some really good plays. Jeff Hireman, I mean, he had his breakout game that everyone's been waiting for that I'm sure he's been capable of but never been really used in this offense over the past two years. I mean, he came out and just balled 10 catches for 83 yards and a touchdown. I mean, this is what we saw from him that we wanted him to be, and he really kind of showed, hey, I can be it. Just give me the opportunity. So, I mean, Hireman goes out and just makes, I mean, play after play after play, it seems, yesterday. Here's where my problem comes into play. And I'm sure this is where every Bronco fan was furious yesterday. So the Broncos, they take a timeout with 43 seconds left. And we have the ball at the Houston 45-yard line. We have a one-yard pass to Emmanuel Sanders, a little, you know, out-sweeping route there that goes absolutely nowhere. We go into a no-huddle on third and nine, and we have an incomplete pass to Devin Booker. Okay, Clock stops, 27 seconds left, 4th and 9 from the Houston 44, and what does Vance Joseph do? He rushes out the field goal unit as the play clock is running down for a 62-yard field goal. Now, this is something where I may dis, you know, I may disagree with a lot of people out there. I don't mind going out there, being aggressive, and trying a 62-yard field goal in mile high with a guy who we know has the leg to get it that far. We know McManus has the leg to kick a 62-yarder. Now, there was a little bit of a breeze last night. You know, It wasn't the best conditions ever at mile high and that altitude, but we know he has the leg. He showed he had the leg because his kick, though wide, was definitely long enough. My problem with this situation is that Vance, Vance Joseph doesn't take his final timeout beforehand. So you know that you're sending your kicker out there for a 62-yard field goal, which would go down as the third longest in NFL history, and you're going to rush him out there with the play clock running down and just say, hey, here's a 62-yarder. Why not call the timeout there? And this will, I mean, this will go into my next 
phase. But if you look up statistically, okay, statistically, on paper, with numbers, factual numbers, icing the kicker with a timeout does not work. Statistically, more often than not, when you ice a kicker, they make the field goal. That's just the way the stats look. Okay, I'm just telling you what the facts are when you go to ice a kicker. And it makes sense in some ways. And I think it depends when you ice a kicker on when you take the timeout. We'll get to that. My biggest thing is, why not take that timeout? Tell McManus, hey, I got confidence in you. You can make this. Take your time. Go out there. You have a timeout's worth of time to figure out the wind to get your spot lined up, for you to get lined up, snap the ball whenever you want to. Nope. He runs him out there, rushed, says, hey, here's a 62-yarder, and you got to just ad-lib it. I mean, are you kidding me, Vance Joseph? That's how you treat your kicker? Is just rushing him out there for one of the longest kicks in NFL history, his longest in his career, and it's going to have to be a little rushed because the play clock's running down and you have a timeout in your pocket. You have a timeout in your pocket and you can't give him a little bit extra time. You know what that timeout does too? Now, I told you, I was not completely opposed to the field goal try. Be aggressive. Try and get this thing through. The momentum that that would give you going into halftime, if he does make it 13-13 after kicking a 62-yard field goal, heck yeah. Those guys are fired up. They're feeling good. You get the ball back after halftime. Let's get this thing rolling. The timeout also gives you a minute to reflect on your decision. If you want to be aggressive, I'm all for it. But at the same time, when you make those snap decisions, sometimes you're not rational on everything that could take place. You take that time out. You sit there with Brandon McManus. How you feeling? Like, I I believe in you to make this. And then you maybe look back at the field and you go, okay, this is going to be a 62-yard field goal. We're at the Houston 44. If we miss this, Houston gets the ball back. I mean, pretty much midfield. Well, you know, maybe you know what, we get the ball back at half, we're down three, maybe we just punt this thing away. You know, let's pin them deep. Yeah, we could do that because then they probably won't score. I mean, they would need two or three hellacious plays to get into scoring range if we punt the ball away, even if it's a, I mean, even if it's a touchback and they get the ball back on the 20-25, you know, they still have to come up with some big-time plays to give their kicker a chance. Maybe you kind of rationalize the situation and go, you know what, McManus, I believe in you, brother, but we're going to punt this thing away. We're going to get the ball back at half, and we're going to you know, make some adjustments and retake control of this game in the third quarter. Maybe that happens. Maybe it doesn't. But to not give yourself a chance, to not give your kicker a chance in that situation is absolutely pathetic, Vance Joseph. Pathetic. And there's no need to argue about that. Now... When we go into, okay, the Texans get the ball back. We miss the field goal. Texans get the ball back with 18 seconds. Deshaun Watson, I mean, completion to his tight end Griffin for 13 yards. Completion to Hopkins for 7 yards. Timeout by Houston. Three seconds left. All right, kicker, let's go out there. Let's get this thing done. Then the Broncos have their saved timeout to try and ice the kicker. 
Here's the problem with icing the kicker and why I think the statistics show that icing the kicker really never works. The problem is, is that when you ice a kicker, you can't call it like right as they're kicking the ball. That's always been the famed, you know, memorable moments in icing a kicker in NFL history. Because you wait just that one second before the ball snapped, you call timeout, and they make the field goal. And then it's like, okay, there's a timeout, he's got to come back and make it again, and then he misses it. That's when you know it's glorified, and it's like, oh my gosh, what a great call, what a great icing of the kicker. That's the anomaly. That's the outlier. When you ice a kicker to do it really properly, you have to call that timeout before the kicker has a chance at the field goal because all you're doing is helping the kicker if you give them that shot at the field goal. Make or miss. If you call the timeout before they even get a chance to kick the field goal, now they have absolutely no muscle memory to go off of. So if they kick it right as you call the timeout and they're able to get it up and they miss, the kicker can go, oh, okay, so the wind was a little bit stronger than I thought. Or, gosh, I just pushed that a little bit more than I wanted to. I can correct that. You know, that's the muscle memory of a kicker where they go, okay, I can make that adjustment. If they make it, then they go, oh, okay, cool. I did everything right. I read the wind right. Let me just step up and do it again. So that's my problem with the icing the kicker at the end of the half there is that don't give them a chance to kick it. Make or miss, who cares? If you're going to ice the kicker and you have that timeout that you want to use on their kicker instead of our kicker, don't let them get a chance to kick the field goal. And there's no need to argue about that. Let's move on to the end of the game now. This is the one that frustrated me. Oh my gosh. I, I really thought, that my wife was going to, you know, kind of isolate herself because she was tired of hearing me scream and, I mean, just get so frustrated that I wanted to go downstairs to my heavy bag and just put a picture of Vance Joseph up and pound it until I couldn't see his face anymore. The Broncos make a great drive. I mean, great drive at the end of the game. 14 plays, 53 yards in three and a half minutes. Hey, all we need is a field goal to win this thing. Let's do it. A lot of great plays to the tight ends. And, you know, Sanders, I mean, we were making plays in this drive, doing what we had to do to get within range. The problem that I had with this drive is that with 43 seconds left, we do a five-yard slant to Hireman. Completion, great, that's awesome. You know, we got the ball to the Houston 32-yard line like we're doing good. And what do we do? We let the time just tick and tick and tick and tick and tick. And we huddle up and there's 13 seconds left. And we do Philip Lindsay up the middle for, I mean, barely a yard if you want to give him a yard to put the ball where it's best for Brandon McManus. And it's like, why... Did we stop trying to gain yards? There's time on the clock. It's first and 10 at the Houston 37-yard line with 43 seconds left. We get five yards to Hireman. Great. You know what I do there? I get right up to the ball and run the exact same play. Why isn't there any urgency to the offense after that play? 
It's like they got to the line to gain that they needed to be in field goal range and they just quit. Let's go. Run the exact same play. Get everyone lined up. Try and get another five, ten yards. Who, I mean, who knows what could have happened. But to just give up on the play drove me crazy. You could have also, I get right up to the ball and I spike it. Now, in doing so, you stop the clock and you save your last time out in the half. And there's probably about 30, maybe 30, 28 seconds left on the clock. So you have third and five. Great. Third and five. Why don't we try and get another five yards? Why don't we try and get another 10 yards? Why don't we try and get another two yards? I mean, you get to a point where it's a 51-yard field goal for Brennan McManus, and you just totally say, you know what, that's good enough. We have a good kicker, 51 yards. He can definitely make. He's definitely, you know, it's, it's possible for him to make that field goal. And we just throw up our hands and say, okay, we're done. I mean, how many other teams with that time left wouldn't say, you know what, 51 is pretty good, but what if we can get him a 45-yarder? You know, let's get inside 50. What if we can get him a 40-yarder? I mean, any yards that you can make just gives your kicker a better chance to make the freaking field goal. And we get five yards and say, ah, we're good. We made it to the field goal line that's on TV, that little red line that says field goal, you know, that we're trying to get to to get within range of our kicker. And we're just going to go ahead and huddle up as the clock is ticking, 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 ticking down. And then we run one yard with Philip Lindsay to get it on the, you know, hash mark that Brandy McManus likes it at. And then we're going to call a timeout with three seconds left and make this thing go. I was so, I mean, I was cursing, I was yelling, I was so pissed off when that was the mindset of the Broncos. They're so aggressive that they go out and kick and try, sorry, try and kick a 62-yard field goal to end the half, and yet they're not aggressive enough to give Brandon McManus a couple more yards on the game-winning field goal attempt when it was a little breezy, a little windy. And a little bit colder at the end of the game than it was at the end of the second quarter. And that's how you handle the situation. And I've listened to sports talk all day and I've, you know, heard analysts talk about this situation and they say, well, you know, maybe he just didn't want to give up a penalty and lose a chance at a field goal. Maybe he didn't want to, you know, have a sack or maybe, you know, something like that. You know what? If you're going to be aggressive, Have confidence in your guys. Those are your guys. Those are the guys you've coached up all week. And I tell you what, I would have much rather seen him go out there and run the exact same play to Hireman. If that's a matchup that's worked for you all night, go out and run it again. And Keenum should know being the veteran that he is. You go out there to get more yards. You have one read, maybe two. If they're not open, you throw that ball away as hard as you possibly can, as far as you possibly can. It's just pathetic. And if you don't have the confidence in your team to do that after the drive they put together at the end of the second half and at the end of the game to get in the situation to try and win it, then what are you doing? 
And that's what's frustrated me so much with Vance Joseph last year and this year is the lack of discipline and how unprepared we seem to be in all of these situations. Like it's way too much for Vance or he just can't handle it or maybe he just makes the bad decisions and that's fine. But that doesn't mean that you are given freebies in the NFL where every week is so important to win football games. And that's a game that we should have won. I mean, our defense holds that team to 19 points. They only score three points in the second half. Our defense played, I mean, as good as you can against one of the hottest offenses in the entire NFL. And what does our offense do? They go out there and they put up 17 points. And yeah, we missed two field goals. But I mean, really, with the players that we have, it shouldn't matter. We should be putting up touchdowns. And that's why it's so frustrating that Vance Joseph is not fired. And a lot of people are out there saying, well, you know, what's the point in firing him now versus the end of the season? You know, what kind of message are you sending to your team? And blah, 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 blah. I could care less. You know what the problem is? The message that you're sending throughout your organization is that being terrible, being mediocre, is okay. By keeping Vance Joseph on after last year and saying, well, I have to sleep on it if we're going to keep him as our coach and then keeping him and saying, hey, let's see if this second year is a little bit better. We're going to try and improve our roster the best we can. We're going to get you a little bit better quarterback. Let's see what you can do now with one year under your belt, with Joe Woods one year under his belt being a coordinator. I mean, the games are just closer this year, but the results are the same. You know, we're not suffering the blowouts like we did last year against the Giants and the Eagles and the Patriots and everyone else. You know, the games are closer this year, but the results are the exact same. So does it really matter? You know, that's the old, you know, Vin Diesel adage from Fast and the Furious, right? It doesn't matter if you win by an inch or if you win by a mile, winning is winning. So what is the difference between our losses this year and our losses last year that the Broncos are taking? Here's my big take on it. Here's my big spin. Vance Joseph, as I've said before, I cannot stand him in press conferences. I cannot stand the way he talks. I cannot stand how he handles himself in times of adversity like he has the last two years. I mean, one of my favorite people of all time my man coach Wardo was a defensive line coach for us at Colorado State University of Pueblo during my time there and he is just one of the best guys in the world but one of his favorite quotes was play like you got blue flames coming out your rectum and he didn't use rectum he used the other word but you know I got to say rectum on on these airwaves so blue flames coming out your rectum meaning you are on fire. There is nothing that's going to stop you. You are just after it, relentless. Blue flames coming out your rectum. Vance Joseph has no flames whatsoever coming out of his rectum. His post-game press conference said, well, you know, our players played hard and we coached well. We just need to, you know, find a way to finish games. We got to find a way to finish. Are you kidding me? If you were coaching well if your players were playing well and executing a good game plan 
finishing games would be a heck of a lot easier than it has been. The Broncos are not a terrible roster. Some people like to think that they're a terrible roster, but trust me, we are not the worst roster out there in the NFL, but yet our results show we're one of the worst teams in the NFL. So it comes back to coaching. It comes back to leadership. It comes back to preparation every single time I watch this team play. All the three and outs, all the bad calls, all the bad decisions, all the poor time management at the end of halves, at the end of games, on game-winning drives, on game-tying drives, on drives that mean something. That I mean, we've, we've never spiked the ball. We have yet to spike the ball on a drive at the end of a half or an end of the game. What do we do? We get up and we try and run everybody up and we try and communicate a call and we lose 10 to 15 seconds every single time on game-winning drives, on end of the you know, half drives, on end of the game drives, and it frustrates me to all end. Here's my solution. Fire Vance Joseph now. Get it over with. He's not going to be the coach of the future. No matter what he does, it's not going to show us anything better. He could go, I mean, he's not going to, but he could go 5-2 and two over the next seven games and it's not going to change my mind. And there's no way he's going to win. I mean, there's no way. I will take the under all day on the rest of the season for how many games the Broncos win. I will take the under all day long. But here, here's my solution, okay? This is what I've been thinking about all day long. Fire Vance Joseph. We have the bye week and hire Hugh Jackson. Mind blown. Now hear me out. Hear me out. Now I know, I know everyone's reaction right now, but hear me out, okay? This is my thought process on going out and getting Hugh Jackson right now during the bye week and letting him finish the year. Okay. Number one, Hugh Jackson for the last three years has been the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. He has won three games out of 36 in the last three seasons with the Cleveland Browns. Okay. And one tie. Sorry, I forgot about the tie. So he's three thirty-six and one in Cleveland over the past three years. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's worse than Vance Joseph's record over the past two years, but is it really? Considering the team that Vance Joseph's had and the teams that Hugh Jackson has had to have in Cleveland, I mean, he finally gets some good young talent and a team that he can build over the next two to three years and be competitive with. And I promise you the Cleveland Browns will be competitive and they fire Hugh Jackson due to lack of wins this season as he started the year 2-4 and 1. Sorry, 2-5 and 1. He started the season. This is my thought process on Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson was just fired after the stint I just described to you with the Cleveland Browns. Wasn't a very good stint. But if you look at Hugh Jackson's career and where he has been, he's seen some success in the NFL over his time. He was with Oakland, you know, he's been with Atlanta, with Washington, with Cincinnati, but he's an offensive mind. He was an offensive coordinator. I mean, long, long time offensive coordinator, running backs coach, 
wide receivers coach, quarterbacks coach. He's had a lot of time on that offensive side of the ball. So here's my thought process. If you hire Hugh Jackson, you bring him in with the bye week, and you say, hey, I'm going to give you a second chance in the NFL after your Cleveland days for you to show me if you got blue flames coming out your rectum. Because our head coach doesn't. Our head coach has no fire. Our head coach cannot get our team to play and win games the way he has coached them the last year and a half. So let's give Hugh Jackson a try. Let's say, Hugh Jackson, you come in here. We have a better roster on paper than the Cleveland Browns do. We do. Over the past three years, we have had a better roster than the Cleveland Browns have had over their three-year stint with Hugh Jackson. So let's find out if it's really Hugh Jackson poorly coaching players, not giving them an opportunity to win, or if it's our roster. And I think the big thing that I want to find out is who's going to figure out a way to fire up this team and get them playing hard to finish this season. Because it doesn't matter if you keep Vance Joseph on. It doesn't matter if you fire him. It doesn't matter if you bring in any new coaches. The players know now that their chances are absolutely zero of making the playoffs. Absolutely zero. The only thing they're playing left for is pride. And quite honestly, all of Broncos country doesn't want you to play with any pride because we'll gladly take another top five pick if we can land guys like we have in the past, like Von Miller and Bradley Chubb and others. So I want to find out if Hugh Jackson is a better leader of men than Vance Joseph is. Because Vance Joseph is not a leader of men, if you ask me. You look at last year and you see the defensive roster that we had. I mean, very, very close to the Super Bowl season. We still had the no-fly zone intact. We still had Von Miller. We had some injuries, but we still had some very key guys. And that defense completely laid it down last year. They knew they had no chance after week five or six, possibly week seven when the you know losing streak started, of winning with any of the quarterbacks or the offensive talent that we had on that team last year. And the defense gave it up. I mean, you can tell. You look at that defense on paper, and then you look at the games and the points that we gave up last year to some of those opponents. I mean, I'll put a lot of that on the defensive coordinator and having a new coordinator, and you know he's supposed to be a Wade Phillips guy and supposed to be doing things the exact same as Wade Phillips, but that was not the exact same as Wade Phillips, considering you had the exact same roster that Wade Phillips had the year before with very, very little difference. And Vance Joseph and that defensive staff couldn't keep that defense playing hard. Couldn't walk in there and say, I don't care what the offense does or how terrible they are. We are going to stay a top defense in the NFL. We are not going to give up 30-plus, 40-plus points to these teams. We're going to play for ourselves. If the offense isn't going to hold up their end of the bargain, we're at least going to hold up ours. That didn't happen last year. This year we come in, we get a little bit better quarterback. We make some key moves in the draft and in free agency on this offense. We have talent. We have some talent on this offense. And the offense can't do anything. Even after Musgrave had an entire offseason to work with this team, it wasn't like he was just thrown into it like last year when we fired Mike McCoy. So Vance Joseph is definitely not the man that he was hired to be. 
You know, John Elway said he was a leader of men. This is the guy that John Elway wanted. Yeah, no, he hasn't panned out. He hasn't been anything that was expected of him. He's been worse. So cut the ties early. And you know what it does? It sends the message to the entire rest of the organization that we are not going to stand for this. That things are going to change now. That we're not going to wait till the end of the year to fire our coach. We're not going to wait till the end of the year to make moves. Things are going to change right now. And you bring in Hugh Jackson, an offensive guy, and let's see what he can do. Let's see what he can do with this team, with these young studs on offense. Let's let's see. Why not? It's not going to be any worse. It can only go two ways. Hugh Jackson comes in here. He fires up the troops. People like playing for him. He gets this offense maybe rolling or clicking after a week or two, and we start to see some real good progress from our offense. Hey, maybe Hugh Jackson is the next coach of the Denver Broncos. Crazier things have happened. If not, if Hugh Jackson comes in here and it's just another Cleveland Browns fiasco, then it's the exact same thing that everyone wants from Vance Joseph. So what does it really matter? Hugh Jackson can come in here and lose all the rest of the games. What does that do? Sets up the Broncos with a top five pick. Hooray, everyone's happy. You fire Hugh Jackson at the end of the year. Who cares? I am so tired of seeing Vance Joseph. I'm so tired of listening to Vance Joseph at his press conferences. So monotone, so upbeat. Give me some fire. Blue flames, brother. Blue flames. I don't see anything. Your job is on the line. You have to know that. You're not that stupid or you wouldn't be an NFL head coach. You're not getting the job done. You know what I would do if I was Vance Joseph? I wouldn't say, oh, well, we need to, you know, finish games or we need to, you know, we're, we're playing hard. You know, we're, we're coaching well. We have the right plan in place. We had a great week of practice. If I was Vance Joseph after that game yesterday, I would have come out and I would have taken all the blame. I'd have said, this is on me. Terrible game management at the end of the half. Terrible game management at the end of the game. Didn't put players in a position to be successful. Defense played so well in that second half, and offense couldn't do anything, I put that on me. It's all on me. I should be fired with how the result of that game came out. I should be fired. That's what I would do. That's what I would do to try and fire up my team to say, hey, I'm putting it all on me. I'm putting my job on notice that I should be fired. Are you guys going to come out there and fight for my job? Because then you would find out if your team's really behind you or not. You take all the blame. You put everything on you. You tell them that you should be fired, that you've done a poor job preparing this team. You've done a poor job of running this team. And you come out of that bye week and you really find out if your players care about you, if they're fighting for you, if they want you around for another year. You would truly get some honesty out of those players if you did that. But you keep giving everyone the same runaround of, oh, man, 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 man. I mean, I don't have to repeat it. It's the same bullcrap every single week, and I'm tired of hearing it. Get VJ out of Denver. And there's no need to argue about that. Thank you, guys. That was my last rant of the Denver Broncos. Probably not going to be talking about them much at all the rest of the year. I'm so fed up with everything going on. You better believe I'm going to be watching those games every week. I'm going to be cheering them on because I'm a Broncos fan. 
And I don't care who's on the roster. I don't care who the head coach is. I'm a Broncos fan at heart, and I'm going to root for my Broncos every single week, so don't get it twisted. But I don't know if they're going to get any airtime on no need to argue. Check out tonight. The Denver Nuggets got the Celtics. Big, big game. Denver Nuggets are coming off a great week of basketball last week, and this is going to be a statement game at the beginning of their season to really set them up for some good success and to keep this train rolling. And Wednesday, check out our abs. We got the Predators on Wednesday night hockey rivalry night. I mean, the abs want, I mean, I know they want revenge on the Preds after last year and everything that took place. The abs are a better team. The Preds are a very good team. You know, they're starting, you know, here and there this year, but I mean, that is a dang good team. They are built to be successful. They will definitely make another run this year. But if the Avs can grab that win early in this year, that would mean huge, huge things for their NHL season in 2018-2019. So check that out. Denver proud. Love you all. Broncos fans, Nuggets fans, Avs fans, Rockies fans. We got DJ LeMayhew. We got Nolan Arenado with the gold gloves this year. Trevor Story got snubbed, but he will definitely get one next year. (sighs) There's always tough times in fanhood. But there are bright lights coming for the Denver fan base. We got to keep fighting. We got to keep believing. I love you all. Thank you for listening. I will definitely check you on Thursday night. And don't miss the game tonight with the Titans and the Cowboys. Amari Cooper making his debut in Dallas. Let's see what happens in the NFL tonight, Monday Night Football. Thank you all for listening. I will check you out Thursday. Thank you all so much for listening again. Until next time, I'm Kobe Wittick, and there's no need to argue about that. Thank you.